Hey, this is Brendan Gersall from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Are you finding what you're looking for? It seems that our search for more, our search for new, our search for different, our search for better is part of who we are at the core. It's part of our DNA. Doesn't that explain what we call progress? Doesn't that explain invention? Doesn't that explain exploration? This, this drive to look for more down inside of us led our ancient grandparents from cave dwelling to high-rise apartments, from ox cart and horseback to ginormous jets. This compulsion in us to look for more drove those seafaring Vikings from their Scandinavian home 1,000 years ago, drove them west to the shores of Newfoundland. This, this inner pressure to, to search, to look, for mo- to look for more, has led mankind to every corner of the globe, to the depths of the ocean, and continues with our ventures into space to boldly go where no man has gone before. This quiet urge to look for more, to look for better, compelled Jonas Salk to press on in his search until, in his research, until in 1953, he tested a vaccine that would prevent the crippling disease of polio. This same desire to look for more, to look for better, explains why Thomas Edison kept on trying to invent the incandescent light bulb after hundreds and even thousands of his attempts failed. He famously said about his failures, I have not failed, I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. But you know there's another dimension to this search, you know it. We're all looking for something more. Something greater, something to satisfy this, this inner yearning, something vital. It's a deeper meaning. It's a lasting satisfaction. It's an ultimate purpose. Let me offer you now three preliminary observations to get us thinking. Here's my first observation. We're all looking for something. Doesn't that explain, explain the popularity of Pastor Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life? He wrote it in 2002, and it's estimated that it has sold 50 million copies in 85 languages. It was over 90 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list, and the book seeks to answer just one simple question, what on earth am I here for? It's true, we're all looking for something. Here's my second observation. Many are not finding what it is that they're looking for. 19th century German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche went so far as to say, he said, there is no finding, there are no answers, there's no purpose. He said, and now I quote his words, this is my way, he said, what is yours? There is no the way. He's saying, grab whatever answer, whatever happiness, whatever pleasure, whatever purpose you can in this life, for there is no ultimate satisfaction. So stop 
looking, he says, and settle for your own way. Bertrand Russell, a 20th century British philosopher and mathematician, claimed to be an agnostic. He maintained that religion was little more than superstition, largely harmful to people. So we must ask, what fulfillment did Russell find in his lifetime? Well, let's go to what he actually said. He said, we see surrounding our narrow raft, raft illumined by the flickering light of human relationships, the dark ocean on whose rolling waves we toss for a brief hour. From the great night without, a chill blast breaks in upon our refuge. All the loneliness of humanity caught amid, amid the hostile forces is concentrated on the individual soul, which must struggle alone with what courage it can command against the whole weight of the universe that cares nothing for its hopes or its fears. For Russell, there is no hope. He says there are no answers, there is no purpose, there's no meaning, there's no finding, there's no satisfaction for this inner yearning in every one of us. Back to my three observations. The first, we're all looking for something. The second is, many are not finding. Here's the third. Maybe many are looking in the wrong place. And that brings me now to my text for the day, to the fifth book of the New Testament, the book of Acts in chapter 17. Paul the Apostle is on a missions trip, and he's in the town of Athens, the greatest university town in the first century world. And we join Paul, verse 16 of chapter 17, and it says there, Paul was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. He spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers. Now, of course, a philosopher is someone who is simply looking for truth. When he told them about Jesus, see what he's saying? He's, told, he's telling them Jesus is who you're looking for. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, this babbler has picked up some strange ideas. Others said he's pushing some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council. Come and tell us more about this new teaching, they said. Tell us more about what you found, they're saying. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. Verse 22, so Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as following, Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious, for as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of them had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. So Paul here is recognizing that they are searching. You have been worshiping him without knowing who he is, and now I wish to tell you about him. He's telling them, you've been looking in the wrong place. Verse 24, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Paul is here saying, I know, I know what it is that you're looking for. 
Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. Verse 27, his purpose in all of this was that the nations should seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us, in him we live and move and exist. He's saying, Jesus, it's Jesus you're looking for. We go on in verse 28. As one of your own poets says, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's former ignorance about these things, but now he commands everyone everywhere to turn from idols and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Here he's saying it. It's Jesus you're looking for. Verse 32, when they all heard Paul speak of the resurrection of a person who had been dead, some laughed and others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysus, a member of the council, and a woman named Damaris and others. Chapter 18, then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Verse 4, each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue trying to convince the Jews and the Greeks alike. And after Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul spent his full time preaching and testifying to the Jews, telling them, the Messiah you are looking for is Jesus. Jesus is what you're looking for. So maybe you're thinking, Pastor John, are you being too simplistic to suggest that Jesus is the answer for every person, whatever it is that they're looking for? Jesus is the answer? Pastor Earl Davis was doing a children's sermon one Sunday, and he asked the children, what is brown, furry, and lives in a tree and eats nuts? Dead silence from the children, and finally, one six-year-old boy in the back row spoke up and said, well, you know, Pastor, that sounds an awful lot like a squirrel, but I've been around here long enough to know that the right answer around here is always Jesus. <laughs> but hear me today. The truth is this. The answer truly is Jesus. Behold Jesus. He is. He is what you're looking for. Jesus painted no pictures Yet some of the finest paintings of Raphael and Michelangelo and Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci received their inspiration from him. Jesus wrote no poetry, yet Dante and Milton and scores of the world's greatest poets were inspired by him. Jesus built no buildings, and yet St. Peter's Basilica in Rome and 
Notre Dame in Paris are some of the most beautiful buildings in the world. Jesus composed no music, and yet Haydn, Handel, Beethoven, Bach, and Mendelssohn reached their highest perfection of melody in the hymns and symphonies composed in his praise. Every sphere of human endeavor has been enriched by this humble carpenter from Nazareth. How do you explain that other than to look towards Jesus and hear his words when he said, Jesus, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. St. Augustine wrote 1,700 years ago, you have made us for yourself. After years of debauchery and wild living, he came to this conclusion. He says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Christian apologist and Oxford scholar, author of the Narnia book, C.S. Lewis, wrote in his great book, Mere Christianity, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Lewis is speaking of, of the inner desire, the search, the longing that is not satisfied by anything this world has to offer. Lewis is pointing to Jesus. He is what we are looking for. He is the culmination of our search. He is the fuel that we run on. He is the way and the truth and the life. Can I now, these next moments, offer you four specific searches for which Jesus is the answer? And here's the, here's the first. The success, are you searching for success? The success you are looking for it's Jesus. Canadian actor and comedian Jim Carrey is a funny man, and he's a great success by all the world's standards. The Newmarket, Ontario native's net worth is, are you ready for this, $180 million. That's according to celebritynetworth.com. Now, I checked the list, and I'm not listed there. Are you? Well, probably there are two reasons I'm not listed there. I'm not a celebrity, and my, and my net worth is a negative figure, I believe. But you hear me this morning. What celebritynetworth.com don't know is that according to the Gospel of John, chapter 3 and verse 16, my net worth in God's eyes is infinite. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sins. And he says, my value and your value in his eyes is infinite. Well, back to Jim Carrey. He made this observation. I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. Now, Carrey doesn't say... We need to admit this and may not agree with me where success is found, but he certainly came to the realization as to where it isn't found. Doesn't it make you wonder if he has ever considered Jesus? 
Author and pastor, Dr. Paul Reese, speaking of this matter of the search for success, says, if you want a picture of success as heaven measures it, of greatness as God views it, don't look for the blaring of the bands on Broadway. Listen rather for the tinkle of water splashing into a basin while God incarnate incarnate in a humility that makes angels hold their breath, sponges the grime from the feet of his undeserving disciples. The success you're looking for, hear me today, it's Jesus. Then I want you to notice this. Are you searching for some relationship in your life that can, that can totally satisfy? I declare this to you. The relationship you're looking for, it's Jesus. The writer of Psalm 42 said it so well. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. Our relationship, you see, with him is so basic. It's fundamental. It's foundational for every other relationship of life. You see it? The hole down inside of us is God-shaped. Jesus was once asked what the greatest of all the commandments was. And he responded seemingly with two commands, but not really. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And then he kept on going and said, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the first, you see, he's not stating two things. He's saying that the first is the foundation for the second. Meaning what? You can't love your spouse as you, would want, as you want to. You can't love your parents as you should. You can't love your children as you could. You can't love your neighbor as you ought until you have that relationship with Jesus until you love him, until you love the Lord your God. So a marriage, no matter how good and how strong, and children, no matter how fulfilling, will ever bring the satisfaction it could until you know him, until you love him. You see it? The relationship that all of us are looking for, it's Jesus. What about peace? Are you searching for peace? The peace, the peace that you are looking for, it's Jesus. The night before Jesus was crucified, he was speaking with his disciples, John 16 and 33, Jesus speaking, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. And then he adds these words, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. That's one of my least favorite promises of Jesus. Here on earth, you're going to have trouble, he's saying. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. Now, hear me now. Did you catch that? The peace that Jesus promised to his disciples was for then, not after the trials and storms have ended. He was telling them they could have it then. Peace Understand this, peace is not the absence of trouble, it's the presence of Jesus. Do you see it? It is. Peace, it is this peace that we can have in Jesus, it is in spite of trials and troubles. 
It is in the midst of our sorrows. Sometimes in these days, we say things like, it'll be so great when this COVID plague thing is over and we can be at peace. And I, and I hasten to say to you, no, you, it will be nice when it's over, but we can have this peace that Jesus promised now in the midst of whatever it is that you're going through, you may have peace in me. The peace, the peace that you are looking for, it's Jesus. Years ago, when Billy Graham was uh, doing his crusades in major cities around the world, and uh, some of you are old enough to remember those on TV, George Beverly Shea was the featured soloist almost every time before Graham would preach. And I'll never forget him singing this song. So much truth in it. Hear the words to it. Acres of diamonds, mountains of gold, rivers of silver, jewels untold. All these together couldn't buy you or me peace when we're sleeping or a conscience that's free. A heart that's contented, a satisfied mind. These are the treasures money can't buy if you have Jesus. There's more wealth in your soul than acres of diamonds, mountains of gold. The peace you are looking for, it's Jesus. One more, here it is. The help, the help you are looking for, it's Jesus. Next July, I will complete 40 years as a pastor and countless times over those years, I have seen people coming, come to Christ looking for help with some significant problem in their life. Maybe it's problem with grief, or maybe it's a troubled marriage. Maybe they're having trouble granting forgiveness, or maybe it's recovery from divorce, or maybe it's struggles with an addiction. And too many times... I've seen people, it seems that for them nothing much changes. They still struggle. They don't seem to get the help they need. And then, I don't know when it was, some years later, I believe I discovered the problem. Disciple James nails the problem. The scripture is before you. In the first chapter, way over at the end of the Bible, in his little book, he says, chapter 1, verse 6, but when you ask him for help, he's meaning, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty... Their loyalty, their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. They're not looking for Jesus. They're looking for a little help from Jesus, and there is a huge difference. So many times through the years, it, it's, if I could put it this way, and I borrow this from Pastor Brent sharing at the conclusion of CR on Tuesday night, reaching one hand for Jesus but gripping something here in this world so tightly their loyalty is divided.
I have several books by E. Stanley Jones. He's been in heaven now about 60 years. One of my favorite authors. And one of the books I have is 365 pages, page a day. And recently I was reading after him, and here's what I read. He's talking about this very matter of divided loyalty. He says, the temptation when looking for help will be to start out being holy Christ and ending up feeling a little more relieved. As someone put it, we we want to experience a slight rejuvenation. And then he used this illustration. On a prayer knoll at Sat Tal in the Himalayas, I watched a vine stretching across the space to fasten itself on a pine tree. One morning I came out and find that the vine had arrived. It had securely fastened its reaching tentacles around the tree. But the next morning I was shocked to find a catastrophe. A storm during the night had swept across the mountains and had torn the vine from its moorings. And there it lay, a pathetic thing with its face to the earth, still holding in its grasp the broken branch of the tree. The tree had broken and let it down. But the tree really had not. For what had happened was that the vine had fastened itself upon a dead branch, and the dead branch had broken. Had the vine reached, hear this, had the vine reached the central trunk, no storm could have torn it away from the trunk. And then Jones concludes, many start out with high aspiration towards the tree, Jesus, and then they stop at some dead branch of religion and fasten themselves on that. He says, some stop at a good resolution and fasten themselves to that, but no mere good resolution can hold anyone up amid the storms of life. And too often have I observed over the years people fastening themselves, stopping short of Jesus and fastening themselves onto the church. They like the music, the sermons, they kind of are amused by them or entertained by them. Seems like a good crowd to hang with. I've seen people attach themselves to a favorite pastor. But hear me, a a pastor can't be the center of one's faith. I've seen people attach themselves to a very good program. Celebrate Recovery is an excellent program. But hear me, unless you get to Jesus... CR really can't help you much. Go clear to the central trunk, says E. Stanley Jones. And the central trunk is Jesus. Don't stop short. I was here on Tuesday evening of this week to the Celebrate Recovery. I came because Dave asked me to come and to hear his testimony. And uh, it was... It was powerful. It was a tremendous night to hear his testimony. And uh, this week, Dave is celebrating one year total sobriety, and we all celebrate with him. Yes, you should. And I heard him say these words. When I first came to celebrate recovery, I was just looking for sobriety. But after discovering what CR, Celebrate Recovery, was all about, I decided I wanted it all. And then he said these words, first and foremost, I wanted a relationship with Jesus.
hear me, the help that you're looking for, it's Jesus. The peace that you're looking for, it's Jesus. The relationship that you're looking for, it's Jesus. The success that you're looking for, it's Jesus. So as we come down to the end of this message, is it true, Pastor John? Is what you're saying true for, for everyone? Is it true for every person of every race and every culture and every nation, no matter what background, no matter what upbringing or political persuasion or religion? Is it Jesus that everyone is looking for? Leonid Brezhnev was the premier of the Soviet Union from 1964 until his death in 1982. Then Vice President George Bush, the older, represented the United States at his funeral, and Bush told later that he was deeply moved by a silent protest carried out by Brezhnev's widow. She stood motionless by the coffin until seconds before it was closed. And then just as the soldiers touched the lid, Brezhnev's wife, Brezhnev's wife performed an act of great courage and hope, a gesture that must surely rank as one of the most profound acts of civil disobedience ever committed. She reached down and made the sign of the cross on Brezhnev's chest. Right there in the, in the citadel of communistic, secular, atheistic power, the wife of the man who had run it all hoped that her husband was wrong. She hoped that there was another life and that that life was best represented by Jesus who died on the cross. And then that same Jesus might yet have mercy on her husband. Jesus is who she was looking for. And hear me. What's true for Brezhnev's wife, it is true for philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. It is true for mathematician Bertrand Russell. It's true for comedian Jim Carrey. It's true for me. And it's true for you. Behold Jesus. He is. He is the answer. He is what you're looking for. He is what your heart craves. Did you know that the Bible speaks of a yet future day when everyone will acknowledge, everyone will acknowledge, everyone will behold Jesus one day. And they will acknowledge that it is Jesus that they were looking for. And I take you to Philippians chapter 2 and it reads this, God raised him, speaking of Jesus, up to the heights of heaven and gave him a name that is above every other name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue, every tongue, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Some will acknowledge Jesus, but it won't be in worship. It'll be to admit that it truly was. I choose, I choose to bow my knee now. Do you? 
Behold Jesus. Behold Jesus. He is what you're looking for. Maybe you're here on this day and you would say, Today, Pastor John, my, my search ends. Today is the day that I come to faith in Jesus Christ. Today, I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Or maybe you're online and you, you would make that same decision today. If you do, tell us about it, would you? Communicate with us and let us know. Maybe some of you are here or you're listening online and you would say, Pastor John, you were talking about me when you were talking about divided loyalty, reaching with one hand for Jesus, but holding on to other things. Divided loyalty, today I let go and I reach for Jesus with both hands. If that's you today, would you pray with me? Dear Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sins. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I repent and I turn to you. I put my trust in you. I reach for you with both hands. I let it all go. No divided loyalty in me. Jesus, it's you. Save me today and I'll live for you and serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you made that decision today, would you let us know? In-house today, anyone here would say, Pastor John, today's my day. Today's the day I make the decision to follow Jesus. Would you just show your hand, just put it up, and then take it back down, saying, today is the day I become a follower of Jesus Christ. God bless you. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness.